Welcome to the worst nightmare of all. Reality. Explore the lesser-known stories of our unknown world. Join the pursuit of the paranormal with Ash and Greg. Hey everyone, Ash here. Um, I've been really ill the past week. You probably hear my voice a bit. Just got just enough breath to, to record this. Uh, so there is no new episode this week just because... I've not been available. Uh, so this week I thought we'd re-release an interview we did last year, 2022, with author and conference speaker Robbie Graham. Uh, Robbie sadly took his own life just a couple of months ago, so we wanted to just re-release the episode just in honour of him and just give an opportunity for people to hear his work and his story. Uh, Robbie suffered from mental health issues for quite a long time, and they sadly overtook him, like I say, a couple of months ago. He was not able to battle his demons anymore. So I also just want to give a message to everybody that you don't need to struggle alone. There's lots of resources out there to help. Got Samaritans, Mind Charity. RDMs are always open to anybody. You do not need to struggle alone. Please reach out if anybody has any sort of thoughts, self-harm, suicide. Please reach out to someone. You are not alone. With that said, please enjoy this episode and hopefully you can learn something from Robbie's work. Thank you. We are joined by Robbie Graham, UFO researcher, author, host of the Big Picture podcast, talking all things UFO and paranormal, with his co-host Steve Mayer, authored a couple of books and runs a book publisher called August Night Press. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you for chatting to us. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. It's a pleasure to be talking to you. Awesome. So we kick off most of these interviews with just a bit of an origin story. So how did you first get interested in the whole UFO and paranormal field? Uh, well, it just I mean, it goes back to my childhood. I've always had a, an interest in, in all things weird. Um, I grew up literally next to Canic Chase, which is a bit of a UK paranormal UFO hotspot. Awesome, yeah. So I, I grew up with all of the mythology and the, uh, the sightings and things like that. And um, a, a close friend of mine at, at primary school had a close encounter with his parents when I was seven years old it com- completely sucked me into the subject and um, sort of buried itself in my subconscious and then in my teenage years I became quite obsessed with UFOs started to buy all of the literature and uh, and then I um, and then I uh, sort of became more interested in films academically and did that at university sort of put the UFOs on the back burner and then um, in my mid-20s started to think about how I could combine my sort of interest in films with my interest in UFOs and, and the weird world of the paranormal. And that eventually led to my first book, Silver Screen Sources, sorting fact from fantasy and Hollywood UFO movies. And um, so, yeah, I just sort of focused in on on the pop cultural side of, of UFOs and the extent to which um, cinema in particular has shaped our perceptions and expectations of the phenomenon. Interesting to talk about, obviously, sort of the pop culture, the Hollywood influence. So do you think that the sightings and stuff that comes out is because of what people see in movies? Or are movies sort of shaped by these experiences? Like, which which, which is first, sort of, if you know what I mean? Well, the, the, the UFO phenomenon, such as it is, predates uh, media depictions of it. 
Um, as we know, I mean, people were reporting, you know, anomalous things in the sky long before uh, cinema existed, uh, certainly before television existed. Um, you know, and people were reporting even flying saucers going back to the 18, 1900s and describing them as such as well. But of course, you've got anomalous objects in the sky going back centuries um, in, 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 you know, various uh, cultural literature. And uh, so, so, but it was... 1947 obviously that the ufo phenomenon entered into popular consciousness in a big way with the kenneth arnold sighting and then later roswell but roswell of course didn't become known uh popularly until the till the late 1970s early 1980s when people like stanton friedman started to look into it at the time really no one batted an eyelid it made the headlines in in the local press and then it vanished but hollywood didn't get in on the flying saucer scene until three years after in 1950 uh the first ufo movie to be released um in, in hollywood was was a film called the flying saucer which was a, an attempt to cash in on the flying saucer craze uh which had been you know you know people were by this point very interested in ufos and um was making headlines capturing people's attention and hollywood saw that this was an opportunity to to make some some money and uh so from 1950 onwards you started to see filmmakers and TV producers uh, tap into the growing UFO subculture, which really started to blossom throughout the 50s and 60s. And ever since, you've really seen Hollywood filmmakers, writers, directors, producers mining um, this rich subculture and mythology for entertainment purposes, really. And so you've seen a lot of fact, so, sort of encounters, experiences, have been reported in real life whether they're true or not is, is sort of besides the point but they've been reported and those things which are part of the ufological record ufological literature are then used as um, material by uh, by hollywood creatives and they sort of intertwine it with fiction uh, for entertainment purposes and the result is uh you know movies like men in black and film you know series like the x-files movies like independence day even and many, many, many others. So, so basically, the to answer that question in a nutshell, the phenomenon predates media depictions of it. But as time has gone on, um, it's become a little complicated because the power of cinema and and all visual media is such that, to what extent we might ask, do these uh, visual representations influence? us in our expectations perceptions of the phenomenon itself so it's kind of a uh, uh the, the the waters are muddied as we've gone on through time but certainly the phenomenon itself predates uh, the movies so what do you think about because there's people that say films especially ones by steven spielberg where he's sort of working with the government or whoever to sort of put things into the movies to sort of get the public ready for some grand disclosure in the future do you think there's any weight towards that, or is it just purely entertainment? Well, Spielberg. I mean, we could do a whole a whole show on Spielberg. It's an interesting, um, interesting question. Spielberg, of course, was a UFO buff. He's been a lifelong UFO buff. He was completely obsessed with the subject in his teenage years. And the very first feature length film he made when he was 16 years old, which was released like a local film festival, was called Firelight. And that laid the blueprint for what would become Close Encounters of the Third Kind in 1977. And um, that was all about UFOs. And so Spielberg was completely obsessed with the subject. 
and then of course you made Jaws. Well, you made you made Jewel before that, and you made Jaws, which became the most successful film ever. And then after Jaws, that gave him the license to sort of make any film he wanted. And the, the first film he wanted to make was Close Encounters of the of the Third Kind, which is still probably the best UFO movie ever made, and, and the most ufological of, of, of all UFO movies, I would say. Uh, and it owes, it, of course, it owes its name to Jail and Hynek's um, classification system, uh, the Close Encounter of the First, Second and Third Kind, as coined by Hynek. And um, he consulted the Jacques Ballet on the film, and Ballet had some influence, as did Hynek, and, and many other reports from Project Blue Book served as um, as influence in, in, in the script. So from then on, Spielberg went on to, to make a number of other alien movies. He directed, of course, E.T., um, War of the Worlds, but he produced uh, a number of other big alien blockbusters throughout the 80s and 90s, including Men in Black and including um, the Transformers franchise, actually, uh, which is heavily ufological, uh, albeit you might be you might not think so because it's about giant transforming robots. But there's a hell of a lot of UFO conspiracy theory woven into into the overarching narrative across those films, all of which were supported by the Department of Defense, by the way. Um, so uh, and 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 in that sense, sort of co-written as well by the Department of Defense because they get a huge amount of access to the to the scripts when they give their support to those films. Um, but Spielberg. In answer to the question about whether Spielberg is, I think you're sort of asking, is he an insider and, and is he putting, you know, inside information into these films in an effort towards disclosure? I think um, it's it's not a simple answer. I, I think basically my, my, my inclination is that, you know, Spielberg is a director. He doesn't have need to know um, access to, to this highly classified information. And you're not just going to tell a film director, the most explosive secrets in the world. Um, however, Spielberg has throughout his career, and as, especially as time has gone on, walked in, shall we say, elite circles. He's very good friends with the Clintons and has been for many years. Clinton, Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton have both spoken publicly, especially Bill Clinton, about his interest in the UFO subject and his efforts over the years to gain access to Roswell files, information about Area 51, and he's dropped big, big hints that he believes that something is going on, but that he's been denied access to it. Now, I think that given how flappy Bill Clinton's lips are publicly on this subject, he will have almost, like Spielberg in private, will certainly have asked him about the subject. And I think it's fair to say that, that at the very least, Clinton will have acknowledged to Spielberg that there's something going on. If not, you know, he may not have told him anything, he may not know anything, but he will have, he will have acknowledged as president or former president, that this is a real, a really serious issue. And, and that may have been enough for Spielberg to continue to produce these movies. And um, But at the same time, Spielberg is also friends or closely connected with a lot of people in the Department of Defense. And he's been awarded uh, a medal by the Pentagon. He's been awarded a medal by, you know, the White House. And uh, he's, yeah, so he's, over the years, he will have brushed shoulders with people who certainly would be in the know or have, a certain amount of information on the subject and I think it's probably fairly safe to say that you know whispers will have been exchanged here and there so but does that make him an insider I wouldn't say so but at the same time as I say as as, as the years have gone on um, Spielberg has uh, produced films like the Transformers franchise which is extremely interesting um, if not as a if not as a as a plot that then as a as a, as a ufological kind of artifact because um 
I mean, we could get into that. That's a, that's a whole big whole big thing. But but yeah, if anyone's interested, they should look into um, the Transformers movies and their relationship to the Department of Defense and the extent to which the DoD shaped those movies. Uh, and and you know and that's very significant when it comes to the UFO issue. That's interesting because I've never actually seen Transformers movies and and no idea. I mean, it's not something that you would think as a UFO movie. I, I certainly haven't. I've never seen them either, though, so that's probably why. I've never really seen anything to do with Transformers, but definitely interested now you said that, that I want to go and... Yeah, it's, and, I, and I recognise how completely bonkers that sounds as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, do, it, it, you do, it doesn't take much digging to, to find some good, solid research uh, on that, and uh, it, it's certainly certainly very interesting. Yeah, I'll have to re-watch those films. The, the, um, I can see why... Because there's a lot of off-world reference, um, future technologies, all that kind of stuff. So I'll, I'm going to have to rewatch that, knowing and looking into it, because um, it, it I can see there's conspiracy stuff in there, in terms of the Transformers. So I and their, their history. So I'm, I'll have a look into that. That'd be interesting. Thanks for that. I can send you some links as well um, if you want to put them on the site or anything like that. Mm. I can send you some direct links to. To some of the best stuff on that yeah perfect thank you so you sort of touched on politics there i mean as we're recording this as this episode goes live the congressional hearings are happening pretty much as this episode is going to be published uh, so you've been you've sort of been keeping up with what's been happening and these meetings that are happening today um to be honest with you not as much as i as i probably should have been i've been so so busy say so chaotic over the past couple of weeks and uh, and even prior to that, that uh, uh, I've not been on top of it as I should. But obviously, I'm aware of what's been going on and then what is happening. Um, and of course, of the history of uh, of congressional hearings on this subject as well, which, of course, this isn't the first time it happened. We, we had open congressional hearings back in 19, I think it was 68. Uh, and J- James McDonald was involved and um, Gerald, was it Gerald Ford? I think it was Gerald Ford. I may be wrong about that. And... Um, but yeah, so and then of course we're we're supposed to have the open hearings, but also classified briefings as well for for Congress people and senators. And uh, the idea or the speculation is that some of that may leak out over the following days or weeks um, through you know people who are talking to the press. And I suspect that may be the case. Certainly, it's going to be interesting, and certainly what's happening is historic. And uh, and it's just another step in what is surely leading towards something of significance. Yeah, it's definitely interesting for sure what's going to happen over the next couple of years. I think definitely. I think this when we look back in twenty thirty years, I think this is going to be like one of them turning moments in history. I think I think I think if I think there's I think people may be very disappointed if they're expecting something sort of monumental from you know to be to be. Um, uh, to be uncovered or, or announced uh, over the next few days and, and weeks, I think it's very—it's always baby steps. It's always yeah. very small. People always have huge expectations um, uh, whenever anything is promised, and then what's actually delivered is, is, you know, usually quite disappointing. And I'm sure that will be the case this time as well. But it's—it's—it's it's, it's an ongoing process, and I think as well, and this is something I always talk about. I think a large part of people's disappointment. When it comes to things like this, stems from, um, I think, 
misjudged expectations, misplaced expectations, um, or uh, sort of a, I, I think that the disclosure term is really problematic. Um, and and I, I think that it implies, you know, so disclosure as coined by people like Stephen Greer and Stephen Bassett are coined, but sort of adopted and, and um, popularized suggests a single moment in time where everything is revealed and the world changes, uh, you know, uh, where classified technologies are released and the world benefits and the new age is ushered in. And that's just just never going to be the case. Disclosure was never on the cards. Never, It's still not on the cards. People need to really stop thinking about all of these things in terms of disclosure. The powers that be, shall we say, whoever's been you know, keeping these things from the public for so long, and some of it may very well be justified, uh, it, uh, the powers that be, they, they do not have and never have had the interests of the public at heart. There are special interest groups here who with their own sort of um, vested interests, and they're not particularly interested in, you know, in ushering in a utopia for people. There's, there's a lot of things to consider here. And it's never been about disclosure. It's always been about perception management. It's always been about managing how people perceive the phenomenon and specifically how people perceive officialdom's relationship to the phenomenon. It's always constantly about managing those things. Um, and that's what's been happening for a very long time. So, of course, in the early 1950s, the CIA became uh, involved in Hollywood. Uh, and by the early 50s, by the mid 50s, it had very successfully infiltrated Hollywood uh, and the news media completely uh, because they recognized the power of these institutions over you know, people's minds. And if you wanted to control how people think, you have to have significant control or influence over the media. And that also extended to fiction media in Hollywood as well. It has a different effect. And um, so, yeah, they recognized this and they re but they but they. And then, of course, you had the, the CIA Robertson panel in 1953. And the Robertson panel was um, a group of top tier scientists, which was funded by the CIA to look into the UFO phenomenon and make a judgment about it. But of course, it was funded, funded by the CIA. And the result was, of course, that the Robertson panel decided that there was nothing to the UFO phenomenon, that there was no national security threat and it. it should all be just, you know, actually, it should be, according to their recommendations at the time, it should be... Um, it should be sort of uh, discredited, uh, you know, it should be associated with, with, with craziness and wackiness and, you know, it should be public interest in the phenomenon should be discouraged and the, and the, and the phenomenon should be debunked at every given opportunity. Those are the recommendations and the actions, in fact, you know, that, 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 uh, that were carried out uh, through the Robertson panel for quite a few years. And I think after a few years, what they realized was that you can't actually convince people that the phenomenon isn't real when people around the world continue to report the phenomenon every day, right? If people, if people, thousands and thousands of people are continually having interactions with your sightings, experiences, you can't really convince people that it doesn't exist. But what you can do, they realized, is you can, you can manage how people perceive it. You can manage how people perceive the phenomenon. And more importantly, you can manage how people perceive officialdom's relationship to the phenomenon. 
And so with that in mind, beginning in the early 1980s, you had the Air Force Office of Special Investigations working with the CIA, have a few of their people um, start to spread disinformation throughout the ufological community through key researchers, very influential researchers. And um, and what, and the, the ideas that they planted, the seeds that they planted, became sown into ufological debate and discussion over the next decade or so. And by the mid-1990s, especially when Hollywood started to... Uh, to tap into though into that disinformation and started to sort of use it as its own uh, narrative, you know, narrative material. What started to happen was that, uh, um, yeah, I mean, pe- people just started to uh, believe what what has become known as the core story, the UFO core story, which revolves around the U.S. government having recovered. Uh, extraterrestrial specifically extraterrestrial hardware and bodies over the years perhaps beginning with roswell but a, new, a number of ones after that this is the this is the this is the story right that was woven um by disinformation agents now this is not to say that this is this doesn't necessarily include roswell because of course roswell happened before that and the story broke before the before the dis, disinfo agents had a field day with it but the sort of in, in essence the core story of ufos uh, that ufology adopts today is one where the us government in particular but various governments around the world have direct relationships like open relations with extraterrestrial species probably more than one several extraterrestrial species but in particular the greys and they have an exchange program whereby the greys have offered the us government um you know their advanced technology and giving them access to that technology but in exchange the uh, the US government allows the extraterrestrials to abduct its citizens for their own purposes for their own research purposes so it's like a contract it's like a treaty and people refer to these things as a treaty people claim that there are treaties going on between the extraterrestrials and and the government and but when you start to trace this core story back it all goes back to two or three um, individuals in the late 1970s and early 1980s and a handful of projects whereby uh, these individuals planted disinformation and they came forward and, and revealed that it was disinformation a long, long time ago as well. And it's been proven that these, these people are, you know, are counterintelligence experts. Uh, but it was, it was absorbed as fact by a number of individuals who had considerable influence in the field and it's trickled down and it's become part of the core story now and it's something that i used to buy into and believe as well completely and um there's a strong sort of religiosity to ufology and a need to believe i mean that what you've got the, the 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 reference from the x-files i want to believe it's kind of a need to believe as well um you know what i'm talking here and it sounds like i'm it, it might sound like I'm um, skeptical or um, or sort of dismissive of, of these ideas. And that's that's not the case. I mean, it, it's simply that I th- when it comes to the longer you spend in this in this field, I've been doing this. I've been in this now for like 25 years. And the 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 longer you spend in it and the more people you meet. Uh, you become 
you, you either lose yourself in it completely or you sort of have some awareness and step out of it a bit and look and then go back to it and then you can look at it with with fresh eyes and um you have to question what you believe the, the more strongly you believe something and the more strongly you feel you need to believe something the more strongly you should question why that is the case um and and, and that's very hard to do it's very hard to do um i mean my my, my stance on, on all of this now is that the phenomenon is real um but it's far 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 more complex and profound than extraterrestrial visitation something that i just wanted to to go back to you you mentioned about um governments and have an influence with the media and such like to control people and the, the way people think and perceive um the phenomena how do you think social media has now played its part in the perception of the masses um, with the UFO phenomena? Wow, great question. Um, that's the first time I've been asked that, I think. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's a huge question. So you had, I, I think you can break ufology into, into you've got pre-internet and post-internet uh, ufology. Pre-internet, so pre prior to the year 2000, let's say that's pretty pretty good place yeah, to put it so. yeah. yeah prior to the year 2000 ufology was small groups meeting around the country and around the world um with a shared interest in this weird phenomenon and there were no opportunities to share your thoughts in real time with hundreds or thousands of people um you know, I mean, the internet, we, we couldn't have conceived in the 1990s how the internet would sh would completely change the world and, and, and discussion and discourse and debate. And um, it's profound. It's so profound, the effect of the internet on, on, on everything. But but yes, and that includes uh, UFOs and ufology and how we how we interact, how we perceive and how how much more easily we are able to be. Uh, it's it's difficult. I mean, the, the thing is, on, on on one hand, I'm tempted to say it's easier now to to shape popular perceptions through social media. Um, but at the same time, the, it, arguably, um, it's become more democratized, and there are um, you know there's a lot more ideas that you have access to now. And uh, and I would say that. I would say that over the past 20 years, um, I think slowly, slowly, perceptions on the subject, ideas, approaches have started to become a bit more sophisticated and move out of the nuts and bolts or beyond the nuts, just the nuts and bolts extraterrestrial hypothesis to include other phenomena which, with which UFOs clearly overlap. And, uh, and I think that that's been less so, that's been more taboo in the past. Um, it's still taboo now, and 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 still there's a lot of people, um, for example, in the paranormal world who don't want to look at UFOs, and a lot of people in the UFO world who don't want to look at the paranormal. Same with cryptozoology. There's no who claim that there's no link between you know cryptozoological cases and UFOs or the paranormal. But the reality is, is that a lot of these things 
all of them in fact overlap and the more you look at them and the more you put them in the context of the research of people like Jacques Vallée or John Keel for example who wrote the Mothman prophecies um, the more inclined you might be to think that we're not dealing with various disparate phenomena but rather with one phenomenon that manifests in multiple guises wearing any mask it chooses and and that and that this phenomenon is uh i mean it it points to something so profound it points towards the the nature of reality itself and perhaps how profoundly we've misunderstood the nature of our own reality that's a nice uh, little lead on to sort of the next area of the conversation because you you mentioned at the top of the show you grew up near canic chase Mm -hmm. where there's all sorts of different weird legends and tales going back for years and it's a place where me and greg actually met up and that's why we chose kind of chase to do sort of a full day and night investigation into the all different ufos cryptids uh spirits black-eyed children dogmen hickmen all sorts of the weird mm-hmm. stuff that's been reported so when did you sort of realize that because you mentioned that you sort of got into ufology or got your first interest as a child when your friend had this sighting so when did it sort of overlap into thinking oh, these other things could be happening as well? Well, I think I've always always definitely been interested in paranormal and cryptids and things like that. But I think I, I didn't really start to view them under the same umbrella until probably until around 2012, to be honest. Was, you know, um, and that was simply because I'd started to associate with people who had different ideas to me. And I guess I, I've always had an open enough mind to to seriously consider the ideas of others, um, even if they conflict with mine. And so the more I sort of started to spend time online with some of these people, people like Greg Bishop, who's the author of a, a book called Project Beta and um, numerous other books. He's an American researcher who's one of the best minds in the field. He's, he's completely brilliant. Um, and another guy called Miguel Romero, who also better known as um, Red Pill Junkie, and uh, a number of other people. Um, I I just yeah I, I just couldn't sort of ignore it, and I started to become much more interested in the work of, of Jacques Vallée. Um, I would eventually go on to to meet him in um, twenty fourteen. I spent a week with him in um, at the Esalen Institute in California, and. Um, uh, that was that was a really incredible experience. And but what was fascinating about that was, of course, you know, Valet, he's about 80 odd now and he's been doing this for, I mean, like 60 years, pretty much. And I asked him, like I said, you know, I said, so at the end of the week, I said, so what what do you think then? what actually is going on here? Now, this is a guy who's had quite a lot of inside access, you know, some inside access um, operating at the very, very top tiers of research into this phenomenon throughout his entire career and I said you know what do you think is actually happening then what is the nature of the phenomenon and, and he just <laughs> he said I do not know and and that is like you know well, okay well it's kind of a bit disappointing and dispiriting but at the same time it's kind of like well does anyone know do you know do any of the secret keepers really know what they're dealing with or do they just give the impression that they do and I suspect that the answer is somewhere sort of in between those two scenarios. I think that they, the, the people behind the scenes obviously will have, you know, more access and more uh, and, uh, and perhaps a better p- 
picture of, of what actually is, is happening. But I do think that the phenomenon itself is actually beyond human comprehension at this point in our evolution. Do you think that the fact that you said that he said he, he doesn't know, do you think this drip drips or feed of information or mis- misinformation at times, do you think is them, them, as in whoever that may be, are trying to show some kind of control over the information, even though they, they don't necessarily know what's fully going on? Yeah, that's that's what I mean by perception management. Yeah. It's, uh, they need to manage perceptions because they themselves don't really know. I'm, I'm convinced that they don't really know what's going on. They, they have their own ideas about what's going on. And they have, as I say, they probably have a, a bigger picture than we do. But I still think that's only scratching the surface. I think that uh, it, I do think that it's, it, it, the phenomenon itself seems to point to the fact that we have profoundly misunderstood the nature of reality itself. And, and you could get into all sorts of ideas here to do with sim, simulation theory. Are we living in a simulation? Are all paranormal phenomena part of a simulation that push us, the, 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 the sort of the, uh, the characters in the simulation, towards uh, a better understanding of themselves by constantly looking beyond the horizon of what is possible? Um, you know, these phenomena are, are, are nothing if not a challenge to, to science. In fact, that's one of the titles of Jacques, of Jacques Vallée's early books, Challenge to, Challenge to Science. And, and they do push us constantly to, to ask questions that we wouldn't normally ask. And so I, I, I compare it to the, uh, the super-intelligence in 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, especially the, the, as depicted in the movie by Stanley Kubrick. You've got this super-intelligence, godlike alien intelligence, essentially, for all intents and purposes, God, which plants bits of technology, clues, signposts in the form of monoliths throughout, you know, across the ages in human history and then across the solar system as mankind reaches further and further out into the stars, constantly pushing beyond, you know, the limits of our current knowledge. And it's the same kind of thing, I think, you know, what what does the phenomenon represent, if not a challenge for us to constantly look beyond where we are and ask bigger questions. So as we're looking at the sort of the umbrella term encompassing all of the different areas of paranormal into one sort of, it's just a phenomenon, they're all related. Are there any sort of specific cases or ideas that you've looked at that really drives home that sort of theory that it sure. is all related? Yeah, I mean, there are, there are, see, the thing is, is, there are actually, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of cases where many phenomena overlap. And uh, in fact, it's it's far more common. In fact, it's, I would say it's, it happens in more cases than it doesn't. Right, okay. When, when, especially when in close proximity, like for example, someone who has a close encounter with a UFO, more than likely will then go on to have some kind of a poltergeist experience or some kind of a psi experience or even some kind of a sighting of a strange creature or all of those things. Um, it's not always the case, but you'd be amazed at how many times that happens in very credible cases with very, very credible witnesses. And it, it's like, well, what the hell is going on there? What, what does that mean? And it causes all sorts of problems for um, researchers in their distinct camps, you know, like, well, 
and so many of those cases get flushed down the toilet by the researchers because they're like, oh well, that can't be. Like, I I posted um like we did a we did an episode on the on the on the vodcast that we do the big picture about uh, cryptid cases and overlaps with UFOs, and I shared it to a Facebook group, uh, a cryptid a cryptozoological Facebook group, and they they wouldn't they wouldn't share it they wouldn't allow it to be posted and they said and they said um we only we only post you know um material that supports the idea that bigfoot is a flesh and blood creature you know blah 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 and and i thought well okay but you're gonna but but if you're gonna do that you have to dismiss probably 50 percent of all bigfoot sightings because and i'm not without exaggeration because so many of them especially the closer ones seem to have some kind of paranormal aspect to them as well. And uh, so you're just going just to throw all of them out because you want to believe that it's this very specific thing. And by the same token, a lot of UFO researchers would dismiss those cases as well because they want to believe that it's specifically extraterrestrials from Zeta Reticuli visiting us to hybridize us and who are working with the US government. And there's no room for Bigfoot in that scenario and there's no room for, for poltergeists or anything, right? But you've got to look at it for, for, for how it's reported. Get it down to the grassroots level. What are people reporting? Look at the commonalities in those reports and what is the picture that it paints. But yeah, so there are many, many. I mean, there's too many to talk about. But but in answer to your question, um, there's a, a classic case um, involving Debbie Jordan Corbell, who is the central figure in Bud Hopkins' 1987 book, Intruders. And um, they, they made a, t- a miniseries of it for CBS in the, in the, late 80, in the early 90s, rather. And Debbie is one of the most credible witnesses you, you could ever meet. Um, and uh, she has had a lifetime of, of extraordinary experiences, which started in in childhood. But but they were so common throughout her childhood, she just thought it was normal. And her, her whole family experienced weird things. But it, was, it wasn't until the early 80s, 1983, that she had a UFO, a really spectacular UFO and terrifying UFO close encounter in her yard, um, which was popularized in Bud Hopkins' book and in the TV show, um, where something came down, landed in her, you know, in her garden, and she got, I mean, she was burnt, like her her eyes were burnt, and, you know, uh, she got received all sorts of, you know, damage to her, to her face and, and all sorts of complications. A dog was irradiated and died and lost all of its hair, you know, physical evidence on the ground, a huge 40 foot swath of grass, um, which would never grow again. The soil was changed. I mean, there were witnesses from uh, outside witnesses. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's just one, uh, but then she would, after having this experience, she would then go on to have very shocking poltergeist experiences as well. Um, involving, balls of light that would fly through the house um lights you know exploding things flying across the room um all, all that kind of stuff uh, even strange strange animals like alien animals running through the house and disappearing into the wall and stuff like this like completely crazy stuff and if it weren't for someone like you know for, if it weren't for the fact that it was being told by someone like debbie who is well what's good about debbie as a witness is she questions everything herself she doesn't subscribe to one particular theory for what she's experienced she doesn't say i i know what this is and this is what it means she says i've experienced this i don't know what the hell it means but i'm just going to tell you what i've experienced and you you can figure it out for yourself and but debbie's just one of of of, well 
presumably millions of people around the world who have had similar things happen to them. Um, but not everyone gets the opportunity to 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 have a platform to to voice and express those those things. I mean, I think the phenomenon is is woven into the fabric of of our existence, and um, so many people who you would talk to on the street will have had some kind of anomalous experience, but because it's taboo still, we, we you know we take our cues for reality from only a handful of sources we we recognize i think subconsciously that that reality is is just mind-bogglingly complex and so we rely on things like the bbc to make sense of it for us and if it's on the bbc it must be real and if it's not then it's probably not important and this is generally i know that's a huge generalization but that's how we operate for our own sanity and so for years and years and years you know, the mainstream media has completely poo-pooed UFOs and, and things like that. It's only been since 2017 and the Pentagon, um, uh, you know, the, you know the, the, the sort of the Pentagon revelations that happened um, about the, the pilots seeing UFOs in American airspace and, and the American government's rebranding of the phenomenon uh, from UFO to UAP. Um, which, by the way, I think is a, is a part, is a very conscious thing. I think that what they're doing is they're trying to rebrand the phenomenon in the popular consciousness and to divorce themselves from their sort of dark and dubious history with the phenomenon and to present it as something that they're only just starting to become interested in, something that they've only been interested in maybe for the last few years and that their investigations into it now are happening in full view of the public etc etc but obviously we know that that's not the case um uh, i've got sidetracked there what the hell was i talking about <laughs> i can't remember anymore <laughs> <laughs> but it is right what i say about the american government like with these this new task force and what their sort of prom- promises so to speak are was like they sort of starting from 2014 and that's when that first leaked video mm-hmm. was 2014 and just basically the previous 60 years they said no that doesn't matter anymore it's basically we're starting from 2014 these videos that we recorded by our pilots and this is where we're starting our investigations from so it's true what you say about it's it's a new thing this is what's happening now i'm just going to basically ignore everything that's happened before that's right that's right Uh, yeah and this is part of the the whole perception management thing you know um it's about it's about sort of um you know, because as you see, I mean, if, if we were to, it, it's a tricky thing. It's very difficult, you know, I mean, and it's very easy to, to, to vilify, you know, government institutions over this issue. And, but I mean, you know, the people who are in these institutions, they're just people. And, you know, but... I mean, try to put yourself in that position. And I'm no champion of government. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I don't know, but, or, or the military, but, but I mean, it must be a very difficult situation to be in when you're presented, you know, when you're, you're the one having to make decisions about something that's just, I mean, beyond comprehension and potentially very disturbing. And what do you do but keep it secret? are you really gonna be like okay we don't know what we're dealing with here we don't even know 
the right questions to ask, let alone any of the answers, how are we going to disclose this to people? Well, we can't really. All we can do is really manage how people perceive it in our best interests, in a way that best serves us, in a way that sort of mitigates any damage uh, over time. And that's what's happened. That's exactly what's happened. Now, what's happening now since 2017 is very interesting and it is unprecedented. And um, uh, But I still think that people might be getting a little bit ahead of themselves with their expectations here. And um, uh, But it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next few months, the next few years. I don't think you're going to see anything earth shattering happen overnight or, or any or any time soon. It might take another several years or more. Um, but it's all very interesting now. And certainly in America, attitudes are beginning to shift. The media have now really, are really on board with the idea that the phenomenon is real. And then the laughter curtain has gone down to a large extent. In, uh, channels like Fox News are engaging with it completely seriously now and uh, devo devoting serious time to it. Uh, C CNN as well and other, other news channels are, you know, so this is, this is like a huge change. This is very significant. We're not, we've not caught up yet in the UK. Uh, we're still, we're still completely, uh, you know, ignoring, ignoring it all. There's very little coverage of it. Even the Daily Star yesterday was front cover of a story about, um, oh yeah, I saw guy that's been abducted 60 times. He fights, uh, as a super soldier in these yeah. galactic wars and even, Taking the story out of it, the way that they're portraying the story is in obviously the jokey tabloid yeah. manner. So even if that was a true story, I'm, I'm not having an opinion on that story, but the way portraying it, even if it was, then they've got no chance because the way that they are just portraying it to the people that yeah. see that front cover. Yeah, but and, and this again goes back to that what I was saying about how we take our cues for officialdom. Now, the American media has only now started to take it seriously because they've been given permission to do so by the government. So because the so the government takes its cues for reality, sorry, the media takes its cues for reality from what the government tells it, essentially. Um, it just reports what the government says in one, in one way or another or different versions of it. Um, and now the American government, the Pentagon, has said this is real. Now the American media are saying, OK, well, now we can engage with this as a serious news story and potentially sell more more papers and, you know, get better ratings and stuff. Right. So this is a good topic. People are interested. We no longer have to treat it in a jokey way. We can treat it seriously. And that's what they're doing by and large. But in the UK, the UK government remains, you know, completely silent on the issue. They've not followed in America's footsteps by saying, yes, we've had our own investigations and we've reached our own conclusions and we know that it's real as well. They've not said that. They've just said nothing. And so that's why the, you know, the culture of um, ridicule still exists and, and is still strong. I, I, I predict that if and when the UK government decides to make any similar announcements, then the UK press will, will, will fall in line as well. Not that this is purely conjecture, but do you think the UK government will sort of look at America's example and follow that lead sometime in the near future? I think so. I think so. I'm not sure how long it will take. I think so only, only for the fact, obviously, we have a close relationship with America and, uh, and some of that relates to uh, technology as well. I think... It, I mean, it could take a while. There's no, certainly no indication that that's the case at this point. I mean, don't forget, though, that m many, many governments around the world over the past 10, 20 years, especially over the past decade, have released 
huge amounts of their own UFO files. Uh, numerous South and Central American governments have released thousands and thousands of UFO files. Various U European governments have done the same, especially France, which has always been quite open about, about the phenomenon. Um, uh, the UK within Europe and, and outside of America is probably the most secretive country. And that might be because we have more to, to lose in, in the sense that we have a bigger stake in it, probably uh, outside of America, you know, there's probably a number of other countries like Russia and China who have serious ongoing, you know, secret projects related to this phenomenon. Um, but I think the UK has certainly had its own as well. And um, but we just have a much stronger culture of secrecy here in the UK anyway, um, even even more so than America. And uh, so it could take a long time. And, um, you know, for those who don't know, of course, you know, the UK government had its uh, UFO project that was headed by Nick Pope throughout the 1990s. But Nick Pope was only just, you know, that that, that was Air Staff 2, 2A and that was just a front organisation, essentially. I mean, it was it was just uh, it was just something to appease the public. And um, the real UFO investigations throughout all of that time and prior to that and beyond it were carried out by the UK Defence Intelligence staff, by uh, agencies like the DI-55 and DSTI, things like that. And um, those are the people who, you know, if, if, if witnesses, if someone had a close encounter, for example, and reported it, uh, and if, if, that, if that witness got a visit from someone in a dark suit asking them questions, those people came from the defense intelligence staff, right? But all of that was secret and it's still secret. And we may never really know exactly what has gone on there because the UK is so secretive on this, on this issue. Um, but I do suspect that given time, it will follow suit with America um, because I think it'll have to, because it will, it will come a point where it will look negligent if it doesn't. Yeah. Yes, I think I think for me is one of the one of the lines in that uh, UAP task force report that came out last year was working and sharing information with the US allies. Obviously, we're the biggest ally of the US, so surely if we've got the US defense on towards saying we've got these objects that are unidentified, that we're assessing the threat to the airspace of the country. Surely the UK has to start taking it seriously at that point when they're saying this this information to them. Yeah, yeah, this is it. So, so I think that I think that certainly the U, the UK is watching very closely what America is doing and, and what it's saying, and probably formulating some kind of a strategy as to how as to how it might respond in the future. Um, we'll just have to see what happens. So you mentioned earlier about the um, sort of the explanations for what the phenomena is, sort of going back a little bit, and there's all sorts of different theories you could talk about. Do you have a favorite theory that could explain this at all I, my favorite theory will be interdimensional that's what i personally think is the most likely explanation for all of these different things do you have a sort of preferred theory that you personally just like to go to yeah i suppose i'm gonna throw a question back at you before i answer that what do you mean by interdimensional it's, it's quite hard to explain but how i interpret it for, for me personally is there's different sort of planes of reality or different levels of dimensions and there's high dimensions in us that we, we can't see or we're not, we can't interact with but they can interact with us from these mm -hmm. high dimensions so they can make themselves visible in different ways or different forms mm -hmm. 
that sort of so when there's areas say like areas where there's lots of different areas happening where they say it could be like a portal or whatever to different dimensions these areas of high activity are where whatever they are can make themselves visible mm-hmm. from a different different reality different dimensions so obviously it's quite hard to explain but that's how i sort of interpret it is there's they're at high dimension to us and they can they're aware of, like we're, we're aware of first second and third dimension they're in the high dimensions and they can see below but not mm-hmm. higher so we mm-hmm. can't see higher than our dimension but they can see down to us mm-hmm. that makes sense that's sort mm-hmm. of what i'm trying to trying to trying to say that makes sense yeah yeah i i think i think um i think that that has to be really the starting point, the starting place really for any serious examination of this phenomenon, more so than the extraterrestrial hypothesis, which posits, of course, that we're dealing with biological beings from within our realm of reality in our probably um, galactic region who are traveling in spacecraft. Uh, But even if they're traveling in spacecraft to get here, they're still using other dimensions to to travel because otherwise they'd be traveling they'd have to travel you know below the speed of light and it would take them even even at that speed it would take them lifetimes to get here which is clearly not what's happening Uh, and also that's not how people report these ufos people report them as suddenly appearing and suddenly vanishing into thin air and some in many cases through what seem like portals same with the beings as well they can come and go walk through walls do this that and the other um, and, uh, so I think any serious discussion of, 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 UFOs has to begin with the concept of, of interdimensionality. Um, but even that may be, um, may be insufficient, uh, to explain what, what we're dealing with because, yeah, I mean, I mentioned the, the the simulation theory earlier, and and this is this is something that really really troubles people. It really rubs people the wrong way, which is not surprising, um, because people don't want to believe that that this isn't real as we understand it to be real. It's not to say that it's not real, because of course it's real. But I, w- I would strongly recommend that people look into simulation theory. Um, the more you look at it, the more you realize and just start to ponder and you think, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, this is highly likely that this is this reality is not really what we think it is. And um, and all of this could be part of part of something like that. And and the, the, the answer is, I don't know. The answer is, is that clearly the extraterrestrial hypothesis is insufficient to explain the UFO phenomenon as reported over the past seven decades in the in the modern UFO era. Um, there certainly seems to be a, a strong element of interdimensionality to this and to other phenomena as well, including cryptozoological phenomena, um, entities that seem to be able to, that seem to brush in and out of our, our reality. And, um, they're there presumably all the time around us, but it's only occasionally under certain circumstances that we catch a glimpse of them. And what's also fascinating, I think, and really troubling 
is how none of these phenomena lend themselves to uh, definitive, like conclusive, hard uh, documentation, especially photographic documentation. They can't, they seem to actively defy it. And you got to seriously ask yourself what what's going on there. The amount of people who have seen UFOs and have had close encounters. I mean, you're talking millions and millions. And how many really good pictures are there? Very few, very few. And 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 of course, in the digital age, I think photographic evidence is completely useless now. Anyway, it's meaningless because anyone can fake anything. Prior to the digital age, it had more value. But anything now, photographically, is worthless in my view, unless it's got at least two witnesses to support it with their own testimony, you know, and you've got something to support the actual, to anchor the actual image itself. But most footage, no matter how good it looks, is worthless now. And that's the age that we're in now. And, um, but still, over the years, the amount of people who've reported close encounters, even with, you know, with with things like Sasquatch and stuff like that and, and other weird types of entities and and um, and close encounters with UFOs, multiple witnesses, millions and millions of people. And you could probably put the amount of good photographic evidence that's ever been gathered, you know, on, on two pages of one book. What the hell is going on there? Hmm. Right. What is that? I mean, that is seriously bizarre. So I, I'm going to leave that question open for people to ponder because it's it's one that I that, that that's, keeps me awake at night sometimes. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, even the even the uh, even the stuff that's been released by the Pentagon, you know, the gimbal, the Tic Tac. I mean, people are like, "Oh wow!" But when you look at it, it's it's neither here nor there. It's 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 profoundly unimpressive, in fact, right? Um, and it's only it's only impressive because it's been given the weight by it's by its official by you know by its official stamp from from the Pentagon. Without that, people will probably not look twice at it yeah um it makes you wonder it does make you wonder uh what is going on and and why the phenomenon seems to so successfully elude uh photographic documentation and conclusive proof it's almost like it's just it's not what's meant to be going on it just helps the skeptics no end as well yeah because you always come back with everyone's got a phone in the camera there's um everyone's got a phone in the pocket there's cameras on every street why isn't there something being captured yeah it's interesting I, uh, the whole skeptic thing as well i mean we're all i mean i think everyone's a skeptic to some degree everyone's a skeptic to some degree in the sense that there's always something that that someone is not willing to believe right so do you know what i mean so like i mean you're probably a skeptic to someone who believes stuff that you don't, right? Um, it's just a it's just a degree um, of of how open we are to questioning our reality. I think it's too, it's a very disturbing thing, and you know. But often you'll find a skeptic can become a believer overnight 
by having an experience. And um, but then they will remain a skeptic to other phenomena that they haven't experienced. Right. I mean, I know people who have had really profound UFO encounters who are completely skeptical of other people's experiences because they've not experienced them themselves. So I think the idea, the, the debate around skeptics versus believers and stuff, I think is, I'm not sure it's, I don't know. I think, I think everyone's a skeptic to some extent. Um, and I, I've never had, I mean, I've never really had, I've had one strange experience, but it was, now I've had a handful of strange experiences, but nothing like earth shattering. And prior to those, I'd had none. And yet I was inclined to question the nature of reality. And I was inclined to look into these weird phenomena because of what they might represent. And I'd done enough research over the years to finally conclude in a really profound and disturbing way that, oh my God, this is real. This is, I've seen enough now, even, even though I haven't seen it with my own eyes, I've met enough people. Uh, I've, I've spoken to enough people who've had these experiences. I've read enough material over many years to have reached the conclusion through a skeptical, a skeptical approach that, yeah, there's just too much evidence here and there's clearly something going on and reality is, is not as we've been told. But then there's those people who don't give it any thought at all and go through life without giving these things any thought and all of a sudden, bang, they're hit by something that's, that shouldn't be and all of a sudden their reality is shattered. And then a lot, you know, sometimes those people can't pick up the pieces. So, yeah, so talking about being sceptic and scepticism, before we started the podcast, about 18, 19 months ago, we would have never had an open discussion about cryptids, never. I, I'm from a paranormal sort of background, more so than UFO, so poltergeists fascinate me. And I would never have lumped that in with UFOs, cryptids, but since we've been having these conversations, and me and Asher spoke to, to, to hundreds of people now, um, it's very interesting that you mentioned about poltergeist and UFO activities, because some of the people we've spoken to have, that's how it all started for them, is poltergeist activity and escalated up to UFOs or the other way around. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah. it was never a linked subject in my mind, along with Bigfoot or whatever the cryptid might be until we started having conversations with multiple different people who have similar kind of experiences mm -hmm. that we I would never have even had any kind of interaction with in the past mm -hmm. and had I have had that on a blank page gone you know what that's that's even more mad than what I thought was happening in the first place mm -hmm. so it's the more people we speak to the more it all seems to make sense that it is one one phenomena yeah, at least it's, yeah it started back on our very first episode because like yeah. Greg, i mean i'm a ufo guy i'm sort of passing interest in like cryptids and haunting stuff mm -hmm. more ufo that's where my history is and for our very very first episode we do an episode on yowie mm -hmm. which is like australia's version of bigfoot and so i'm just doing research into that and as i'm doing more research there's so many yowie encounters going back even hundreds of years mm -hmm associated with lights in the sky or descriptions of the craft and i was like what i've seen ufos and bigfoot in the same encounter and 
and I'd never considered that before, but on our very, very first episode, that was what I found. Mm-hmm. That's sort of been the underlying theme for the yeah. past 18 months. And it just sort of shows that even you only need to dig a little bit down to actually to find that link. That's right. I think That's people right. should be more, definitely more open to, mm-hmm. to that. To yeah. That. yeah, that's right. And I think that the reason um, historically why it's such a surprise to people or why people don't, uh, uh, you know, like you've just said, Greg, you you know, this was kind of like a new concept to you. Um, I think the reason for that stems from a historical need among each of these sort of uh, research fields like parapsychology, ufology, cryptozoology. Within each of those, there is, and I can attest to this because I'm part of it, um, a very strong desire for to 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 be seen as legitimate, to convince the so-called skeptics of something that you know that that, that 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 hey look at this guys you were wrong, and we were right, right, and it's like you I need the skeptics to legit to kind of to legitimize my research through acknowledging that it's real right and and the way to do that is through certain scientific methods right and and to keep things as grounded as possible within a wacky field right so cryptozoology to anyone outside of it or parapsychology or ufology is wacky to anyone outside of those fields and so the the way to to get the approval of the mainstream and of officialdom and of the skeptics is to remain as grounded and scientific as possible and therefore if you're trying to convince someone that bigfoot is real the best way to do that is to is to argue the case for you know like gigantopithecus or some kind of surviving hominid um from the past that's existing still in small pockets across the wilds of america and is surviving on certain types of food etc etc right so it's essentially like a zoological argument and 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 in that lies the hope that you can convince you know these people that need convincing of your theory right the problem is is that since the very beginning all of these things have overlapped but because of that strong need for legitimacy in the eyes of the others so many of those cases are censored they're flushed out it's self-censorship within each of those research fields ufology is guilty of it cryptozoology parapsychology all of them and um and so yeah to a large degree there's been a huge amount of self-censorship and that's why it's a shock to so many people you know who are like, oh i didn't realize those things but the, but if you get down to the grassroots reports and the more witnesses you speak to like oh okay okay when it's, when it's unfiltered by um by a research organization or by a particular researcher and you just speak to the witnesses themselves Okay, well, what am I going to believe this? If I am, I going to choose to believe this person? Do they seem credible? Do they seem like they're reliving the event? Do they seem like they're telling me something that's actually happened to them? And you know, often that's the case. And be like, okay, yeah, this person seems to be really clearly telling me something that's happened to them. So am I am I going to choose only to believe the bit about the UFO, or am I going to also accept the bit about the the, the, the cryptid or the Mothman? Right? Am I going to accept the bit about the poltergeist because they don't support my idea of extraterrestrial visitation well so i'm just going to ignore those and i'm just going to report the bit about the ufo and we'll flush the other bits out and this is the problem so talk about bigfoot sort of taking it away a little bit 
because we've had uh, quite a few Bigfoot episodes and there's quite a lot of reports of Bigfoot in the UK. Based on your research, and obviously this may be come across as in the interdimensional theory as well, but do you think that there's a Bigfoot in the UK? I think that uh, there seems to be a global phenomenon of uh, large, you know, um, bipedal, hairy, you know, creatures that that loosely match the description of Bigfoot, Sasquatch, you know, Yowie, Yeren, um, you know, all of these different types of, all these different terms that have been given to this large, hairy creature that varies slightly in its, in its uh, characteristics, but largely subscribes to the same, you know, description. It's global. It's global. And, and yes, there have been very credible reports from credible witnesses in the UK. Now, of course, that should not be if this is a flesh and blood, flesh and blood animal. It simply could not exist here. There's not, I, I, it baffles me that people even debate it. People, people, you see people, you know, British crypto researchers having the debate about how it could survive here and what, what its food source. It's just look at the goddamn reports. It's not what, it's not what people are experiencing. You know, you see the, you know, so many cases with, with, Sasquatch, the 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 prints vanish in the middle of a snowfield or in the middle of a you know a a, a, a muddy field, um, or in the middle of a forest. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of psychic and telepathic communication between witnesses and and the and these these entities. Um, so many so many strange phenomena associated with them. They're clearly not of our reality, or at least they're not purely of our reality. They seem to exist between dimensions. They seem to be able to, and I've spec my, you know, I speculate that perhaps there's something in their brain in the pineal gland that they can access, which literally phases them out of our, out of our reality, out of our dimension. And they, they but they seem to exist partially here because they leave physical traces and are seen physically and are experienced physically. And yet at the same time, they also have, um, paranormal attributes as well and can disappear and reappear and associate with poltergeist activity as well and psi phenomena and ufo phenomena some of them have been reported in close proximity to ufos like like directly um so it it just raises very but but also this ties into another concept that the ufo phenomenon is very theatrical why do ufos so many ufos why are they adorned with flashing lights bright flashing light they don't need them why would they need them right who's who, for whose benefit is that that's for us it's a, there's a theatricality to the phenomenon and an absurdity to it as well in many cases and this comes into the high strangeness aspects of it it's these are you know it's a, it's a it's an interesting avenue to go down and it's one that we could lose ourselves in but it's something that perhaps should be considered. I like the uh, the, the Joker theory where it's like the teenage version of whatever it is and they're just going for a joyride, show themselves for a few minutes just to have a laugh and then go back to wherever they came from. Sort of like a, you know what I mean? Sort of a bit of a prank. Sort mm-hmm. of from their side, sort of like getting told off when they get back to wherever they wherever they came from for showing themselves. But like, like I say, all theories could be no one could that could be one of the uh, things that's happening but we just don't know. 
And that's yeah. one of the things since we've been doing this podcast that nothing seems to be off the table now in any kind of of theory. Um, I always thought that UFO phenomena was extraterrestrials, as it, like a nuts and bolts, other side of the wherever universe, and that they'd come and visited us and then to study yeah. us or just look at us and then go off again. And like you say, it doesn't really lend too well because then you look at the religious aspect where people say that God made man in his own image. So surely all aliens should look like us if there's a God. Um, and then there's the time span, like you mentioned, about taking thousands of years to get here. Um, and then in my head, I was thinking, well, we've got creatures on this earth that only live for 24 hours, mm-hmm. like bugs. So to us, to, to them, our lifetime is millennia. Mm-hmm. So why why could that not be the case for these extraterrestrials? It could that... very well be. It could, and I don't rule out uh, mm. an extraterrestrial component to the phenomenon. Yeah. It could very well be an extraterrestrial component to the phenomenon. But I think it goes beyond that. I think it's beyond. Oh, absolutely. The extraterrestrial uh, thing, and um, yeah, in terms of the descriptions of of these beings as well. Um, again, Kale in the nineteen sixties, he. Um, did a study of uh, entity sightings across Europe from the 1950s all the way through to the the late sort of the, the mid mid 60s, and especially he focused on several years in the 1950s across Europe. And during this period of like during the mid 50s in Europe, there were literally hundreds, around 300 reports, as documented by Valet and others that came out of rural, rural regions um, across Europe, France, um, uh, you know, Spain, um, even the UK, but various other countries across Europe. And people were reporting, largely farmers, uh, and a lot of these people, bear in mind, were in very rural locations, didn't have any access to, to media, really, even in the 1950s. Uh, and so the idea of the flying saucer phenomenon was something that they – was well so to speak alien to them they had not even sort of you know thought of it and yet they were reporting very similar things across these different countries across several years and um they were baffled by what they were seeing and and people were reporting circular metallic craft uh egg-shaped or or um sometimes cigar-shaped but typically disc-shaped flying saucer shaped objects um hovering low over their property landing invariably landing and then beings emerging from these craft and so there were literally hundreds of these close encounters of the third kind that were documented during this period Uh, a lot of them had physical evidence um the witnesses were all very credible really clearly baffled and shocked by what they'd seen and but what's interesting about a lot of those cases is that the entities that were reported during that period, during the burgeoning years of the flying saucer phenomenon, were so bizarre. And they, they were all humanoid. OK, so they were all humanoid. But that would make sense because, again, if we entertain the extraterrestrial hypothesis or even the interdimensional hypothesis, you're not going to get really 
blobs coming to visit us necessarily because the anatomy doesn't lend themselves to that kind of exploration necessarily um humanoid entities are probably going to be more inclined to explore other humanoid entities you know um but that's just a theory but but um some of the some of these descriptions were, were i mean everything under the sun uh hairy dwarves little robots um the, the some of the greys typical kind of greys even in the 1950s there were a handful of those reported in france um little gnome like creatures um small human type people four feet tall um anything ranging from like two and a half feet to you know five feet tall all sorts of descriptions um what 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 the hell's going on there because those kinds of descriptions they do seem like and again if you to, to you know look at the actual witness reports and the the investigators like valet were you know were impressed by them um if we take it face value that they're telling the truth and did have these experiences then what were they seeing where were these entities from what really were they is it really conceivable that we'd been visited by hundreds and hundreds of different types of extraterrestrials from around the galaxy. Why? It, it seems, I don't think we're that special. Why? Um, and why, Why, if they're so advanced, and presumably they're thousands of years more advanced than we are if they're here and, and we're not there, um, if they're so advanced, then why do they then need to have, to, to land in a farmer's field and pick up crops and, you know, behave you know and give hand signals it's so it seems so star trek surely they would have more sophisticated methods of exploration that that remote exploration that didn't require them to land and you know in 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 our uh, atmosphere and and potentially endanger themselves uh in front of our primitive inhabitants why are they doing that it seems like a display it seems like a test of reaction not only to but, but also to, to multiple different forms. It's almost like one phenomenon trying on many different masks to see how we respond. And then finally, in the 80s, we start to settle on one form, which is the grey, or say two or three, the Nordic and the reptilian and things like that, which have been the consistent ones over the past sort of 30 years or more. But prior to that, if you go back into the 50s and 60s across the world, you see all sorts of very credible reports of seemingly absolutely absurd entities. What the, and then, but you don't get them anymore at all. They've gone, they've vanished. What's going on now? Interesting theory. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not even a theory. It's just well, like, no, it's like an interesting question. It's yeah. Just really like, like, you know, what, what, it, you know, this is the thing I think as you get, as you spend more and more time in, in this subject, you realize that you, you're always going to have far more questions than answers. And if you've got more answers than questions, then you've done something wrong. Very true. That's awesome. Uh, where can our listeners find out more about you, your podcasts and your books? Um, yeah. So uh, I've uh, done a couple of books. One is, as I say, silver screen sources, sorting fact from fantasy in Hollywood UFO movies, which was, uh, um, took several years to write and it's pretty exhaustive examination of the, uh, cultural and political interplay between UFOs and Hollywood from 1950 through to present day, looking heavily at the uh, the, uh, the the propaganda angle in there and the extent to which the CIA and other agencies have infiltrated Hollywood um, with ufological agendas. And uh, I edited a book in 2017 called UFOs Reframing the Debate, which is uh, an anthology uh, by a number of brilliant minds in the field, 
all asking challenging questions along the lines that we've been asking here today. Um, and that's both of those are available on Amazon. And uh, I uh, run a publishing imprint called August Night Press, which you mentioned, which um, uh, you can just sort of Google August Night Press and you can see the books that we've put out. Among them are um, reprints of Bud Hopkins, Intruders and Missing Time and uh, various others um, that are coming out uh, right now. And uh, yeah, I co-host a, pod, a podcast uh, called The Big Picture um, with Steve Mara, and that's on YouTube. And if you go on to UAMN TV uh, on YouTube, then uh, you can you can find uh, The Big Picture, or if you just Google The Big Picture podcast, then you should find it. So uh, so yeah, you can find me on those those platforms. Awesome, and you'll also be our headline speaker at the UFO Identified Minicon in Manchester on Saturday, the first of October. Tickets are available on ufoidentified.co.uk I am indeed and I look forward to it thanks guys thank you thanks for your time cheers thanks again